Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. We're starting a series called The Gift. For those of you joining online, I'm glad that you're worshiping the Lord with us and uh, be ready Let's uh, to hear the word and participate as well. Uh, for those of you who have kids, we have our Manger Tales performance at 11.30 a.m. Uh, today as well. It happened last night. It was really, really fun. So if you want to stick around, you can do that as well. So we're starting a series called The Gift. This is based upon Matthew chapter 2. Uh, so you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. When uh, the wise men are on, see the star and are on their way to visit the one born, the king of the Jews, right? You know, one of the things, I'll give you a little insight into me and my family. One of the things that I like to collect, my wife and I like to collect, anytime we travel any places, we like to collect one of three different things, sometimes all three. We like to get a magnet and we'll put it up on our fridge, right? To know, just to represent where we've been. Sometimes, and a lot of times, we like to get an ornament because right now we're in that process of putting all the ornaments on the tree. And what it does is remind us of all the different things, places we've been, but also just it helps us to reflect on what God has done. And the other thing I like to collect is, in, is nativity scenes, right? So we have nativity scenes from the Dominican Republic, from Guatemala. I think we have one from Spain. We have a little people. Those are the ones that are indestructible. We have one of those nativity scenes. We have a, a, a lawn inflatable nativity scene that is also not too theologically correct because sometimes it has Darth Vader and Mickey Mouse close by it as well. And we also have the not uh, correct theologically moose nativity scene that's very fun and cute, but obviously Jesus is not a moose. The wise men were seeking the king, right? And friends, it's always a good idea to seek the king. Let's pray here real quick, then we'll dive into part one of the series, The Gift. I'm calling it New Old Tradition. So Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for who you are. Let your word speak to us. Lord, I thank you that you're going to speak through me, Father. Open up our ears to hear from you what you have to say. And everybody says... Amen. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Anytime you hear something say the reign of King Herod, that's not always a good thing. He was, he was an evil king, by the way, right? And he was a Jewish king who served uh, the Romans who were in charge of basically the whole world, right? So he had his position. He was not beloved by people. So that's a side note. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. These magi, these wise men, they traveled to worship the one born the king of the Jews. Now here's a question to think about. How many wise men were there? Go ahead. It's a, it's, it's a trick question. We actually don't know, right? We don't know. Tradition has added in the details, filled it in, that basically tradition says three, but the problem is it's not necessarily three, right? And they probably, uh, and a side note, they probably weren't there when Jesus was a little baby. He was probably a little older as well. So take those nativity scenes that I love, put one, the wise men in a different room, wait till next Christmas, move them closer, and it's probably just about right. 
Why do we say three? Because they brought three gifts. Matthew, the book of Matthew, he continues and he says, he writes this in verses 10 and 11, right? When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. This is after a brief time with Herod. They, then in verse 11, it says, they entered the house and they saw the child, not Grogu, with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this is where we get the traditional three wise men from, right? Admittedly, when my five kids were born, I and my wife never received gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Maybe it's just the circles we run in. So I never got that. We got the very common diapers, wipies, onesies, or clothes. We got some blankets that were embroidered. We got pacifiers, and we got the very helpful for Amos baby snot sucker, right? If you know what that is, it's a bulb, you squeeze it, it sucks the snot right out. Amos, by the way, he has had man boogers since he's been a baby, so that was used a lot with him, right? So we did not receive gold, frankincense, and myrrh, though, right? The thing about the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus was that they were very valuable, they were also incredibly practical, and they were also deeply spiritual because they foreshadowed the different nature of who Jesus was. And that's what we're going to look at as we go through this series is some of these, the, these uh, spiritual foreshadowing of it, right? So just to give you one uh, quick feedback on that, gold foreshadowed the kingship of Jesus, myrrh foreshadowed the suffering servant or the lamb of God, that aspect of Jesus. And today we'll look at what frankincense foreshadowed. So frankincense as I've found out from the different essential oil advisors, is like the Swiss army knife of oils, right? Rub a little on your temple or your big toe, you'll be cured of all ailments wherever you go. Put a drop of it in a glass of water and you'll probably live forever, something like that, right? No, I'm just kidding. But frankincense is an oil. It actually has what, it possesses these qualities. It's an antiseptic, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine and vulnerary therapeutic properties it possesses. You wonder what I do all week as a pastor. I look up Wikipedia and things like this so I could sound extra smart for you guys this morning. Frankincense is a very actually practical and it was an expensive gift because for that time and even still today, it would help treat uh, sicknesses and wounds, right? It was an oil that you'd put on it. You know, you think today if we get hurt, we'll put aloe vera on the wounds, things like that. But frankincense was used that way. But spiritually speaking, frankincense was the oil the priest burned, which became a fragrant offering to God. That's what it was used for throughout the Old Testament. Frankincense was the oil that the priest burns, which was a fragrant offering before God. It symbolizes a prayer that roses smoke to the heavens, right? So frankincense was a symbol of the priestly nature of Jesus as Jesus as the high priest. And that's what we'll dig into a little bit deeper to here today, right? Can you do that with me? All right. So unless you were raised in the Catholic church or what we call, traditionally call a high church, Jesus the high priest might not mean much to you and it might be confusing. In fact, I have a cousin who is an Orthodox priest 
and I've gone to a wedding of a couple of my families that were Orthodox uh, weddings, and they were confusing to me. I didn't know what was going on at times, but I did know it represented traditions that were going on. I'm convinced, by the way, my grandpa Roy uh, would have, if he could have today, would have invited a rabbi to our family feast. That way he could say, I had a pastor, which my brother, my dad, myself, and my dad were a priest, my cousin, and a rabbi at my Thanksgiving meal, and he could just go on for jokes all day. So convinced he would have done that, right? But the high priest or priest, a priest in the Old Testament served one role but two functions. And today that, that role is very similar in some respects. But the high priest served one role, two functions. What was that role, you might ask? He represented the people before God, right? So that's why the priest, that role, he represents the people before God. The two functions that the priest performed in this role is one is that he would make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. So the priest, the high priest, would make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And the second thing that the priest would often do is he would pray on behalf of the people to God. The Old Testament high priest represented the people before God, and then he'd make sacrifices for forgiveness of sins and pray prayers on their behalf. So the question that we need to go back to and digging a little deeper is why are sacrifices for sins necessary, right? The reality is that this is a foundational worldview thing that comes from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And when they sinned, there was a penalty or a payment that was required to pay for their disobedience, right? They chose to eat from the one tree that God said not to eat from. And when they did that, it clearly demonstrated two opposing forces which are still evident to this day. One of them is the sinfulness of man, or we call it the fall of man. And the second thing is that it demonstrates the holiness of God. And the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man cannot coexist, which is why there needs to be a payment for sin in order to enter into the presence of God. The thing today, though, is that sin's not a popular concept. In fact, our culture likes to erase that word from its vocabulary. You know, they, our culture likes to think, who tells me that it's sin? You know, if it feels good in the moment, then it's okay for me. If it doesn't hurt you, it doesn't hurt me, it's fine. But we all know that that's not true. Some people think that sin's just an outdated concept that we use to scare kids into being good. Kind of like, you know, the, the elf on the shelf that's keeping, helping keep a list for Santa and watching and doing naughty things in that, right? But the problem is if we don't understand, if we don't understand that there is a, a sinfulness of man, if we don't understand this, but more importantly, if we don't understand that God is holy and cannot tolerate sin, then we'll just take a casual approach to sin. So if we flip it, if we don't have the perspective that God is holy and sin is not part of his nature, then we'll just take a casual approach to sin because we think, oh, it doesn't matter to God. But the reality is, is because God is holy, it is a very important thing to God. There must be a payment for sin. What is holy? Or what does holiness mean? Holiness is a set apart. There's a transcendentally separate nature to it. There's a perfection, a flawless nature. There's a pureness that comes with holiness. When we say God is holy, we're not just describing one of his attributes. 
we're describing the perfection of all of them to working together. So when we talk about God being powerful, it's part of his holiness. When we talk about God being just, that's part of his holiness. When we talk about God being merciful, that's part of his holiness. And when uh, and God's holiness is what makes him worthy of praise. If God wasn't holy, he shouldn't be praised, which actually can bring up a good question in our life. What are we praising? And I guarantee you, if it's not God, it's not holy and it doesn't deserve it. God is holy. He's perfect. We're not. We've all sinned, right? Romans says it this way, the wages of sin is death. God hates sin because it hurts. It creates that separation with him. Sin is everything that God is not. It separates us, us from him. Something has to be done about sin. And going back to the Old Testament, the priests, priest would offer sacrifices for sin. Specifically, once a year, he'd make a sacrifice on what we call the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And the priest would sacrifice an innocent animal. He'd do this. He'd sacrifice it. Then he'd enter the tabernacle. He'd go behind the veil. He'd go into the Holy of Holies. He'd burn the incense, the frankincense at that point, which represented the prayers of the people. And the reality is, is as he did that, these prayers were cries for mercy from God because of the sin that the people had. And these cries were crying out to a holy God. God, we're sinful. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our wrong. He'd sprinkle the blood of this sacrificed animal on the mercy seat, is what it was called. He'd, sit, he'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And this animal died in place of the people as a payment for their sin. In fact, this is where we have the, the word scapegoat comes from what happened then, is they would then take a goat, right? They take a goat, they'd confess all of their sins, they'd, and lay a hand, the priest would lay a hand on this goat, confessing the sins of the people, symbolically transferring the sins from the people onto this, this animal, this goat, right? And then they'd drive it out of their community, out of their area. They'd send it out into the wilderness and just let it be gone. And in some cases, they'd literally drive it off of a cliff, symbolically separating that their sins had been forgiven and removed from them. Friends, we're sinful people and we need forgiveness. We have a holy God that we serve, that we need to, we need to see his holiness. Sometimes we might think, well, this sacrifice is extreme. It's gross. It's unfair. Sorry, Peter, don't get mad at me. They killed the innocent animals. But God is just. And because he's just, there must be a punishment for sin. Not only is he just, but he is merciful as well. So as they offered this sacrifice, it satisfied the payment uh, for sin to God, but it also was an extension of of his mercy as well, right? And friends, we need an extension of that mercy in our life as well. Here's the problem, though, with the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is that it was a temporary thing. It had to happen every year, again and again and again. 
because we still sin. We still sin. Here's the good news, friends, is we're not under the old covenant, but we're under the new covenant. And if you want to turn to your Bible in Hebrews chapter 10, you'll get to see what, what this has to say about the new covenant. Verse 10 says this, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, for good for all time. Friends, as the wise men brought this gift of frankincense, they were foreshadowing Jesus' nature, his spiritual nature as the high priest. And Jesus, as a high priest, he paid the price for our sins. It wasn't just a temporary covering of it. It was a permanent removal of it. In fact, the only way that this could happen is by Jesus becoming, becoming down to earth, not as a distant savior, but as a personal one. In fact, one of the amazing things is that just as the priest, the high priest used to live in the community and be around the people, Jesus came down to earth and he went through everything, anything and everything that we will go through in this life. He understands and he cares for it. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 say this about, about Jesus. It says, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of, our, of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Whatever you're going through, Jesus understands. He understands all our weaknesses. He relates with all of our trials that we face. He sympathizes with our pain. He understands what you're going through at this very moment. He understands it. He, he, if you're stressed, Jesus understands. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and drops of blood came from his sweat because of the pressure he was under. Do you have a crazy family? Look around, wink at somebody, and if you, if it, if you can't figure out who it is, it's you, right? Jesus' family thought he was crazy, and at some point they tried to draw him out. Imagine what Jesus had to go through growing up, right? Growing up in Galilee, he was known around the community as the boy who was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mom. He grew up in a small town and literally they thought, well, there's that, that bastard boy. That's what they thought. Hey, that's okay, it's in the right context. Is it okay, John? John can tell me if it's not. Jesus, he, he didn't live as a king here on earth in pomp and circumstance, but he lived in poverty. Probably was criticized, ridiculed, bullied. He faced what no, normal kids would have faced, he, normal, normal people. He's tempted as he was older over and over again by the devil attacking him when he was most vulnerable. Jesus saw his close friend die. 
He grieved in lo in the loss of family members and friends. He's accused of things he didn't do. So he knows what it feels like to feel betrayed, especially even by a close friend. Worst of all, Jesus, my friends, he was, felt abandoned and deserted by God when he was on that cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's felt whatever you felt. He's a high priest who can sympathize with whatever you're going through. And friends, just as the Magi came and brought this frankincense, which again symbolized, you know, that priestly nature of Jesus, it was a gift they brought to him, but foreshadowed who he was, who he was. We have the opportunity now to come before the Lord and bring a gift of worship at God's holiness. Worship who he is, his holiness. We get to lay down whatever we're facing at his feet because of what Jesus has done for us. Whatever you feel Jesus felt, wherever you've been hurt, whenever you've been hurt, he was as well. He's not sitting in heaven thinking, stinks to be you. He's a high priest who understands and he cares. Doesn't matter what you're facing and whether you think it's small or great, he cares for you. He cares and he's waiting for us to come before him. Hebrews says it this way, let us come boldly, boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, right? And we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. We must approach the Lord boldly. And then we'll find that grace to help us when we need it most. We don't have to cower. We don't have to approach formally. We don't have to use King James language of thou, O great God, in the most highest up above the earth. Just go before him. Seek him. Approach boldly with confidence and assurance. Why? Because you're loved by him. You're welcome before him when you go before him. My kids don't hesitate to approach me. They don't hesitate. Anaya comes charging to me, doesn't stop. I catch her and I hold her and I'm so thankful to hold her in my arms. And in those moments, she could ask me for anything. She doesn't yet, which is good, but she could ask me for anything. And I love being able, I love it when my kids approach me. So today, friends, church family, I want to give us a gift today. I want to create space for us to go before the Lord boldly here in a moment. I want to create space for us to worship the Lord because he's holy. I want us to go boldly before the throne, go boldly before the throne of our gracious God, because I want us to have an opportunity to receive his mercy, to find help when we need it most. We can approach Jesus, right? If we have loved ones who are far from the Lord, Jesus is the savior. We can pray and intercede for them. If we're struggling financially, let's approach the Lord boldly and trust him that he's going to be our provider. If we're hurting emotionally for whatever reason, we can go before the throne boldly and recognize that Jesus is my comforter. If you're struggling physically, let's approach the throne of the Lord because Jesus is our healer. If you're tired, you're exhausted, you're weak, 
The Lord is your strength, right? He's your strength and your shield. Whom shall you fear? If you're battling anxiety here today, friends, I want to tell you, Jesus is your peace. So what are you facing today? Whatever it is, as we enter this time of worship, I want you to approach Jesus boldly. I want you to recognize the holiness of God, seek him, and just let him extend his grace to you this morning. Amen? Let's worship together here today. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc, or call 714-255-0930.